If you are just joining with us, we've been doing just a couple weeks here. We've done a short series on thanks, and uh, we started off the series just really diving into the heart of thanks and what exactly is the, the heart of thanksgiving and, and really just giving thanks. And we, we looked into the Old Testament, and uh, then last week we talked about the greatest way to show thanks, simply by living our lives every single day the way that we really know we should. And as we looked into that, the the greatest way that we could show thanks to the Lord is just by living our Christian life and doing what we would know that God would call us to do. And so this morning we're going to be doing, we're going to partake of communion here right after the service. And um, so what I want to do this morning is really communion is remembrance. Communion is, is stopping and taking a look back at at what God has done and looking at the body and looking at the cup and, and really taking a look at, at those things. And we're going to dive into that this morning. And there's a number of different passages of Scripture that we could use for, for communion. But this morning we're going to spend some time in 1 Corinthians and, and just kind of get into the passage of Scripture here um, as it looks at the, the communion. It's 1 Corinthians 11 will be there. But as we, as we get into this this morning... I want to. I want to just. I'm going to give a brief definition of kind of what communion is, and and we'll get into some of the some things more a little in depth here in just a minute. But it was instituted by Christ Himself as a spiritual partaking of the bread and the cup or the fruit of the vine. It's a thankful expression of Christ's sacrifice to be taken in fellowship with Him and with one another, a memorial of remembrance of Christ. The bread, meaning the body, which is, again, things that we know, but in the cup, meaning the blood. And as we look at this, I think oftentimes, I know I have been to many different memorial services in my life. From the time I was a child to partaking in different services for grandparents or family members that passed, or um, even, even as I've sang and, and throughout my life, singing at different services and things of that nature, but... When we think of a memorial, when we think of this, though this isn't kind of, but it's, it's a remembrance. It's a, something that we, we stop and we, we look at someone's life and we, we go back and oftentimes we review, we hear stories, we laugh and we joke about different things of people's lives and things at that time. And really this morning, in a sense, is what we're doing is going back to the memory and remembering who Christ is, remembering what Christ has done. And so very simple, very basic. My message this morning, I'm going to try to keep it compact and short so we can not be here till one. We'll try to do that. But uh, as we look in 1 Corinthians 11, we'll be there and we're going to go through a couple other passages as well. But in 1 Corinthians 11, we see a number of things. But one of them is we look at the seriousness of of partaking in communion. So in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter number or chapter 11, verse number 17 is where we'll start this morning. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 17 where we'll start. And Paul again, we know is writing to the ch- the church in Corinth. But Paul says in verse 11, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together not for the better but for the worse. That's a great way to say hello. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So Paul here, we're, we're again halfway through this chapter, coming towards the end of, 
or not the chapter, but coming towards the end of 1 Corinthians and the letter that he wrote. And Paul starts to begin to hit on the Lord's table. And he stops them and he says right off the bat here in verse 17, I come and I'm not praising you. I praise you not. I'm coming not for the better, but but for the worse. Paul had heard things and Paul was was in the midst of this, understanding what he was hearing. And basically what he heard was people at church weren't taking the Lord's table serious. It wasn't something that they were really taking to heart. And so right away when we, he starts teaching on this and talking about this, he says, I'm not praising you. In verse 18 he says, there has to be. I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it. And in verse 19, he says that there's heresies. Heresy is basically a self-willed opinion opposing truth. Basically, heresies lead to division. Today, we would talk about heresy just a little bit different in our churches. But basically, what we would talk today is it, it would be a, a radical departure of truth is what we would, we would refer to as a heresy today. But it's a self-willed opinion opposing the truth. And so Paul is saying to them, there's divisions amongst you. There is also heresy. I would have to agree there. I would have to believe that there's heresies taking place. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. He writes as he continues to write here. And again, without going into great, great, great lengths of detail and depth. The church, when they would take the Lord's table, they would come together and basically they would have a feast and they would... They would do all of these things, and basically this, the church in Corinth would come together and have a little bit of a party. I would bring for my family, and we would, we would kind of bring and come together, and this family would be there for their family, and things would, everybody would kind of be for themselves. And it says that some would come and leave hungry, while others would come and leave completely full. And Paul was tell, telling them and writing to them, listen, if you're coming, but you're not coming together and we're not worshiping together and we're not communing together and we're not doing these things together, why don't you stay home? You have a home, eat in your home and get drunk in your own home. Because they were partying and they were doing these things and then they would partake of the Lord's table without the reverence and without the thought behind what the truth of partaking in the Lord's Supper is. And they would separate kind of the rich and the poor. You know, one of the things that every church should be, and I, I feel that we, we do a good job here, but one of the things that should be separated from our church is your wealth or your lack of, the color of your skin, 
the things of who we are, the external things that we often are, that we look at each other and we go, well, they must be that person, they must be this person. When we come together at church, we should be able to be a body. It shouldn't be about rich or poor, black or white, or whatever the nationality should be. It's about Christ. It's about honoring Him. Well, here they were basically separating all of those things. And so the rich people would have it. They would live the life. They would have all the food. They would have the finest of the fines, while the poor would be at church coming to do this, and they still left with nothing. And Paul writes, pretty much scorns them a little bit as we get into, or as he was talking about, the Lord's table. we got to understand, basically, at this, that Paul had already taught them when he was there about the Lord's table. So Paul was there and Paul already kind of went through the ordinances and all of the things that would take place and how it was to go. And he's now writing them and giving them a written law, so to speak, as to how it should take place. We'll get to this towards the end of the message, but again, at the end of this passage of Scripture where he's talking about the Lord's table, in verse 27, he says something very similar. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And I put that in that point, and again, I'll hit on that at the very end of the message, but the Lord's Supper, taking a, partaking in communion and taking of the Lord's table isn't something that is just flippant, isn't something that we just do. It's something that is taken or was taken very, very serious. And Paul made that pretty clear throughout this passage of Scripture. So the next two points I'm going to take and I'm going to dissect a little bit of what we would continue or what we typically would read as the Lord's Supper, looking at the body and looking at the blood. And again, my point this morning, or the, the thought this morning, isn't to, to get into a deep, deep, deep thing on the Lord's Supper. Most of us are here, you, you, we have an understanding of what the Lord's table is. But the idea this morning is that we would remember, we would go back, we would stop and think. Because again, many times, we'll partake of it without really stopping and thinking of what the Lord's Supper is. In verse 23... We see, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In verse 23, right there at the beginning, we see that Paul basically had received a revelation of the Lord. This isn't something that somebody had told him or shared with him, but it says that I had received of the Lord that which I also deliver unto you. And it says right here, and this is, I'm going to spend just a couple minutes right here, but it says that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. If we were to go back through a lot of the Gospels and the 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 gospel message of of the the Lord's Supper, we would see this Last Supper from each one of their, their lips or their penmanship as Jesus would take His last dinner, would take this at the last time. 
I'm going to read just a little bit, but if we want to stop, just maybe, I don't know if you close your, close your eyes or if you just go back, but I want, you, I want us to all just kind of together look at this thought. The last night, the night that Jesus Christ went to those disciples knowing what was about to take place, knowing what was going to happen in just a few moments, in a few hours, what was about to take place, he made it a special point to go to them and integrate and put in communion or the Lord's Supper. That this is something that we would do throughout our churches. And to think of that particular night. Think of how solemn that night must have been. He knew what was going on. He knew this was going to be his last dinner, his last feast. He understood that he would be the lamb that would in just a few moments be taken to the slaughter. He understood there would be no more need of a sacrifice. He understood that he wasn't too far off from being beaten and bruised with bloodshed for each and every one of the ones that would be partaking in the beating and the bruising. Jesus Christ, sitting at the table, knew that redemption was about to be made. and He was going to be that redemption. Again, this is something that's just, there's a couple different thoughts here, but one of the studies that I read, and this just blows my mind, They believe that Judas had already left to go on his mission. Judas had already left the table and was now going to sell Christ for just a few pieces of silver. The Sanhedrin was awaiting his arrival. Pilate had been alerted that there was about to be a large capital case that would be coming to him. He knew that just around the corner was Gethsemane, was Golgotha in the grave. By three o'clock on the day soon to dawn, he would be dead. The shadow of the cross lay over the room. And before heading out to institute this new feast, these are the things that were on his mind. These are the things that were on Christ's mind. Here in 1 Corinthians, we see Paul writing to the church, giving them kind of how this is going to take place. Paul in 23 was was given the revelation and he shared with the group of people, those that were there. Instantly, when I was doing my study, the thing that came to my mind in that verse 23, when he said he was betrayed or that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when I, when I was reading it and I thought of that, that thought of, of bread, I thought of the passage in John where he would be the bread of life. I thought of a passage even that takes us back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy that we should not live by bread alone, but by every word, the word of God. The symbolism of the bread with Christ. In verse 24 we then see, and when he had 
given thanks. He break it. Said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Christ had given thanks. Again, knowing what was about to take place, Christ took the bread and gave thanks over the bread. Knowing that He would soon be betrayed. Knowing that He would soon be walking with the cross hanging on His back. Knowing that He would soon be going through all of those things. He gave thanks. And then it says He broke it. And again, another thought, and I'm sure maybe you have thought this same thing, but maybe I should have grabbed some of the bread from out there. But as he took and broke that bread, and then he passed it to the next guy, and they took and broke off a piece, and to the next guy they took and broke off a piece, and broke off a piece, and broke off a piece all around that table, symbolizing the body of Jesus Christ being broken. For each and every one of those that were sitting there. And for each and every one of us that are here this, this morning. Think how many times Christ has sat at that table and had dinner. How many times Christ was with those men and had dinner. How many times maybe even before they, would done that, they had done that same exact thing. And I'm sure there was never a moment quite as quiet and as solemn as what we were, or what they had experienced on that night. Even as was sung in this, the song by the choir, Isaiah 53. So many things. But after giving thanks, he break it. Soon his body would be beaten and bruised beyond recognition. He would be punched, he would be slapped, he would be spat upon. He'd have a crown of thorns that would be placed upon his head as he was mocked for being the king of the Jews. His beard would be ripped and torn from his face. He would be hammered and nailed to an old cross where every joint in his body would be displaced. Yet he still gave thanks, knowing all that was about to take place, taking it, passing it, this do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, it goes on and it says, In the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. As we just talked about the body and some of the, the things that go with the body, we now look at the blood. And, and as we look at the blood, we, we understand a number of different things, but we can look at this and we can debate, and they have debated for years and years and years over the wine and over the different things. We know in Matthew it says it spoke of the fruit of the vine. But regardless of that thought this morning, we look at the blood and we go back, if you go back to Old Testament, and you go back to the times of the Old Testament and the law that was there was animal sacrifice and the blood that was shed on a regular basis. None of them which would purify like the blood of Christ. The blood that would flow on this day would be the blood that would provide forgiveness to all who would seek Him. 
And I don't know if you have a pen. I'm going to rattle off a number of different things. I may go faster than you're able to write, but I'm not going to spend the next 20 minutes just flipping through the Scriptures. I strongly encourage you to go home and do some of that. But just think of some of what Scripture tells us what the blood does. In Matthew 26, 28, it speaks of the remission of sin. In John chapter 6, verse 53, it gives life to those who consume it. In Acts chapter 20, and verse 28, it speaks of the blood that was purchased for the church. In Romans chapter 3 and 25, it speaks of our atonement through faith. Romans 5, 9, it justifies us, it saves us from wrath. In Ephesians and in Peter and in Revelations, it redeems us. It brings those who were far away from God near to Him out of Ephesians chapter 2. It grants us forgiveness of sins out of Colossians. It brings peace and reconciliation. It has ordained or obtained eternal redemption for us. It cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It is the means by which we enter the most holy place with boldness. It sanctifies us. It makes us complete. It cleanses us from all sins. It bears witness in the earth along with the Spirit and water. It is the means by which Jesus washes us. It is the means by which we overcome the accuser. And we stop, if we're able to stop and just look and think of the body and the blood and and look at our lives and look at what Christ has done for each of us. The spotless lamb. The blood of Christ washes me white as snow. When you stop and you look at some of these things, and we really take into consideration the body, we really take into consideration the blood that was shed, my guess is, that I can read into this passage of Scripture being Paul getting word that the church was coming and being drunk, was coming and having a party, was coming and do these things without any care in all of the world. My thought is, as I was reading this and I stopped to kind of break down some of these things with the bread and break down the things with the blood, is that I can stop and I can go back as I continue to read down 26 and 27 and 28 and so on and so forth and look at this and go, if I take, in verse 27, this cup of the Lord unworthily, I shall be guilty of the blood and the body, or the body and the blood of the Lord. Church, this morning, that's really the bulk of my message. Simple, kind of to the point. But the blood, the body that was, that was beaten and bruised, the blood that was shed, and so many times I will sit and take of the Lord's table and take of the Lord's cup and communion almost flippantly. Not taking it with Christ alone on my mind. As we'll partake in just a few moments. 
there should be nothing on our mind but Christ. Nothing should run through our minds but the Lamb that was slain for you and for me. Nothing should go through our minds as a Christian, as somebody that has accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The greatest thing about Jesus or about God sending His Son is that we have eternal life, that I have redemption of sin, that I can have reconciliation with my Father when there is no part of me that deserves it. And I can sit this morning and I can take a little wafer and eat it thinking of His blood or of His body that was bruised and beaten. Thinking of Him as he walked through town with people on every side screaming and yelling. As he was standing in front of the people and they began to say, crucify him, crucify him. As he was flogged and hit, the body just ripped to shreds. I can see why Paul would say this ain't a laughing matter. This isn't a game. This isn't just a time we come together in fellowship and, and, and eat, drink, and be merry. This is our Savior. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That did that for you and did that for me. That gave me hope for eternity. As we close, we look in verse 40, or 26, sorry. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. As we close this morning, I want to touch briefly on these last couple points. But it says in verse 26, or 27, I'm sorry. 26, I'm lying. 26, it says, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Every time we do this, it's a remembrance of him and showing of him. It allows us to think back. It allows us to go back in our minds and to remember. It allows us to, to hopefully look into our lives introspectively and, and remember that as we go out there, we show each and every one. We show by our life that He is our advocate. He is the high priest. He is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He will be back to get His church. In verse 28, it says to examine Himself. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat 
of that bread and drink of that cup. And this morning as we have talked through the, bu- the body, talked through the blood, as we discuss the communion service that we will partake in just a moment, as not just being a game, not just being a ritualistic thing, not just being something that we do because it's what we're supposed to do, but it's a remembrance of an almighty God who sent His Son to die in my place. It's a remembrance of an almighty God to send His Son to die that I might have everlasting life. That I might have peace. That I might have comfort. That I might have joy. And it's not just a game. But it's in service to Him.